is hanging out and uh, probably uh, always causing, if not trouble, at least getting attention to the issues that he cares about. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Howard. How you been? Good. Busy week for you this week. All the time, of course, but busy week this week, right? Particularly this week. This is crossover week where we have to get all our bills out of the House, Senate has to get all their bills out, crossover. So meaning next week when we're taking up legislation, we will only be taking up Senate bills. And likewise, in the Senate, they will only be taking up House bills. You're doing campus carry today, is that right? Yes, campus carry is on third reading. It was on second reading yesterday. We did have a couple amendments to try to keep guns out of dorm rooms and raise the age from 18 for the provisional license that's allowed under this law to 21. Both were um, defeated. And right now the bill goes to the floor with dorm rooms intact and 18-year-olds being able to carry on campus. Um, I've yet, Howard... You know, I've yet to really hear much support. You and I weren't. You and I weren't together. You and I weren't together in school. But I bet you, your school was just like mine. When I was a student at WVU, and was in the dorms at the at the, the towers my first couple of years, I sure as hell didn't want anybody on a Saturday night uh, packing heat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, Howard, that's really the, the bright line for me on this. I mean, I, I went to WVU. I was there for undergrad. I lived in the dorms. And I can't imagine, and let's not pretend the freshman kids aren't drinking. They're drinking. That's just all there is to it. And let's, let's not pretend that, that that's just not the case. And I couldn't imagine if you on a Saturday night, like you said, you're down on High Street and you're getting a dust up with somebody, and you go back and you just have access to a gun right there. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. I, I don't understand the necessity. And I think under this legislation, that's the real issue I have is, is the residence halls, the dorm rooms. That's just, it's just a, a step too far. You know, we have exceptions in the bill for certain things, for instance, like Mountaineer Field, if it's, I believe, 1,000 feet capacity center is the cutoff. Um, so if, if, the, if the center has 1,000 seats or more, then there's an exception and no guns allowed. Well... Residence halls, many of them may have a thousand or more, obviously, rooms, and it's just it's a step too far. I think residence halls being in the bill, if you talk to the average voter and the person on the street interview uh, that journalists frequently do, and you walked up and said, hey, what do you think about guns in dorm rooms? A vast majority are going to be like, that's just a <laughs> bit too much. You know, and, and that's what we tend yeah, to do with a lot of legislation. We go just a little too far on these things because they can, but that doesn't mean it's good policy. You know, we don't have capital carry. I, uh, we can't carry a gun into the Capitol. There's no capital carry allowed. It, it, the I, same people making the these The irony decisions. of that is amazing. The, the irony of that is amazing, Sean. I could not come down to the Capitol packing heat, but that's right. I could go into a dorm room with my gun. That's that's. That's crazy time. It, it, well, at least let's have some. Let's make it make sense for me. It, it, we don't have it. The people in the Capitol are making the decision on campuses, but yet you can't carry in Capitol. Make it make sense for me, Howard. But, uh, no, they, because they're worried. They're nervous. They, they're worried. Yeah. They go, oh, my God, somebody might come in and bring a gun and be upset with us. I, I get it. I get why there's no guns in the Capitol. Makes sense to me. But yeah, shouldn't be that does. The, uh, but it's going to pass. But, but Sean, it's going to pass, right? I mean, it's, uh, no oh, matter what pass. you and I it'll say pass. today, or you and your colleagues say, it'll, it's going to pass. It'll pass with the flying colors. It's not even going to be 
um, you know, well, I may say a few things on it, but it's not going. Uh, the, the end result's already already there. We already know what it's going to be. I mean, it passed overwhelmingly out of the Senate. Um, I believe the first three sponsors. It's a Senate bill. I believe the first three sponsors did not attend college, which the college experience that we just talked about. It's it's an issue. Like you know, I understand the dorm rooms, the life in the dorms, and going out and coming back, and people getting fights, things happen, and to just add that to the mix is, is is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And look, I've spoken to administrators, I've spoken to West Liberty University, I've spoken to uh, those who are going to have to deal with this. We're asking them to do things on top of it. West Virginia University said it's going to cost them at least probably three hundred thousand plus dollars to implement proper safeguards. Because we're telling them, okay, if you're going to have guns in the dorm rooms, uh, well, you need to provide an area for them to be stored, or a safe for them to be stored. So, like, it's going to cost universities money. And then there's a liability factor. What if they're negligent in, you know, coming up with a strategy on how to store these firearms, and then somebody who doesn't have a permit gets a hold of the firearm and uses it? Then what? Okay, I mean, are we going to subject to WVU and other universities to major liability under those circumstances? So there's so many questions that remain on why it's bad policy other than the, the clear eye-opening. Most people agree, hey, wait a minute, maybe the dorm rooms should not be allowed. Um, so but that's, that's on the, the main agenda for today. But, but, but again, it, it, it is going to pass. Look at, the, look at the, uh, uh, the public hearing that was held in, what, judiciary, I think it was? Forty yeah. people spoke. Thirty-eight spoke against it, and the thirty-eight who spoke yeah. against it weren't just yahoos off the street. They were students. They were law enforcement people. They were university officials. Thirty-eight yeah. said no, 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 and within an hour or two, the committee goes, "Okay, we're going to yeah. pass it anyways." Uh, we had a we had a gentleman. It, Sean, it has to be. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, we had a gentleman who testified say. in Judiciary Committee, who was a, a professor at Marshall University. And in his testimony, he's a former Marine. He went and he said, look, I'm a Marine. I had extreme training. It was weeks before we even handled a gun compared to the training that's involved now for a concealed carry permit. It's night and day. And he's a professor at Marshall who teaches classes even involving you know, gun safety and things. And he came out against the bill vehemently and was like, look, this is just not a good idea for X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I always say a lawmaker – some of the qualities we need to have to be an effective lawmaker, one is to have empathy for others. Put yourself in their shoes. And two is just listen. Listen to the experts. Listen to the people who know what they're talking about, whether it's a medical professional, whether it's a Marine who has the experience and, and tells you, hey, look, this is not a good idea. You know, Listen to the experts and just listen and take that information and then apply it. But we don't do that in politics anymore. There was a time when I think that we probably did, but it's not now. You know, it, it, it's it's how can we get somebody on a political mailer on something that's, you know, unjustified, unnecessary. And most of this legislation that we pass these days is culture war BS legislation that really divides the populace, keeps us mad at each other while politicians take advantage of the system behind closed doors. I mean, that's, yeah, that's no, the world we live no in. question about that. And you will, you personally, you will end up next election, assuming you run again for this or some other seat, you will get a mailer against you saying that Sean Fluherty does not support your right to own a gun or Sean Fluherty doesn't support your right to defend yourself because of a bill like this. You know, they'll 
the, the, use it that the, way. The, the irony, the, the fun part in that, Howard, is I have a very good voting record on Second Amendment rights. This sure. bill just goes too damn far. It just goes too far. Like I'm an attorney. I understand the Constitution. You have a constitutional right. I support it, and I have you know a, a good history in my voting record. This just goes too damn far. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Well, but that that defines. I'm sorry. I'm going to make this political statement. If you don't want to, that defines the current super duper majority. They just plain go too far every time. Sean, I know you're short on time, so I want to get a couple real quick things in here. Um, the, from day one, there's been a big debate over the income tax cut proposal. Governor Justice made it before the session. Uh, I think the House concurred with it. You voted for it, correct? The the governor's yeah. version. Governor version. And then the, the Senate, Senate version. Yeah, yeah, and then the Senate version, of course, has is, is got their own version. Now there's all this big debate. I guess I'm looking for your political uh, prognostication. Is it going to pass in some form or another? Or is this going to die an ignominious death like uh, it has in the past? I would not count on it passing in one form or another. However, I will say this. First off, I think the Democratic plan is the best plan. The Democratic plan uh, negates the first 80000 of income, right? So you make $80,000 or fewer in a year, you pay zero tax. You make above that, mm-hmm. your first 80 is exempt. Okay, we exempt the first 80,000. That hits 70 per, 72% of households would pay nil, nothing. And then those who make above 80,000, their first 80,000 would be exempt. I think the Democratic plan is the best plan. The plan that we voted on in the House was the governor's plan, which cuts 50%, and that's for everybody. So even if you're making a million plus a year or whatever he's making these days, he's probably, you know, I don't know what he's making, but a lot more than most people. And you know, he's going to get his income taxes cut in half. And that's better than, I believe, the Senate plan, which involves a lot of corporate tax breaks for out-of-state corporations, which from day one I've said, this money needs to go back in the pockets of West Virginians, and that's what I'm going to vote on. So, But at the end of the day, Howard, I'm not sure we see anything. But I'll tell you this. The voters want to see something. We've had eight years now, this supermajority, eight years of Republican rule and running on cutting taxes, and the average West Virginian is still waiting on that been eight years and i'm going to tell you they need to get something done if they don't it's going to hurt them later on i i'm not in support of the senate's plan but i will say that senate president blair at least is willing to talk has talked about the cost of any tax cut and the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of discussion about increasing expenses you know there's talk about teacher pay raises cps pay raises uh, correctional officer pay raises there's talk about some additional money going into education. There's a lot of talk about things that are going to cost more money, and yet we're talking about taking money away from the budget. Uh, I don't think the Senate numbers add up either, but at least he acknowledges that we have to have some thought about how do we balance expenses against against uh, income. Governor just seems to ignore that completely. The, the governor has had this, you know, pie in the sky plan for quite a while. Uh, he likes the kind of I don't know, extraordinary way of doing things, that he likes to have that as those press conferences, and it's always an attention-getter, and, hey, here's Baby Dog. Um, but you start when you start actually getting down on the policy of things, it, you start realizing we have a lot of things that aren't funded appropriately now. So when you say we have 1.9 surplus, do we really? You know, if we were paying our teachers a fair salary, do we really have $1.9 billion? You know, if we were really yeah. funding child care centers and foster parents and and, and uh, prenatal care and things that we need to do. Are we real? Do we really have a 1.9 billion surplus? So yeah, I agree with that. I mean, w- he looked at this and says, "It's my pot of money, and I'm going to do what I think is the biggest splash." Also, just so happens he might be running for U.S. Senate. So let's not confuse these things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's well, you know, that's true too. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he kind of poo-poos it away when I interviewed him recently and, uh, and, and said, but Governor, you know, the numbers, what, how, how, how does it add up? Don't you worry, Howard. It's all going to work out. Yeah. So yeah. I got off. We all figured it's all going to work out. It's all figured out. Maybe well, it is. I don't, I don't think you'd agree with me. <laughs> He's not someone who gets tied down into the minutia and the policy side of things. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I'm not I would, would say that's true. Agree with that? Yeah, and I think he would probably agree yeah. with that. He's you know, a straight shooter. He'll probably tell you he doesn't spend a whole lot of time getting in the weeds on things. That's why he has stats. So you know, yeah. and that's kind of I think what we get out of this is his plan versus people who slow down and go, wait a minute here. <laughs> Do we really have 1.9? And I believe based upon WVU's study, 20% of that surplus at least comes from a volatile gas market right now. Right? We've been doing well, especially in the Northern Panhandle, in producing severance taxes. But that doesn't mean that's something that's ongoing year in and year out. So it's a volatile market. A lot of this money came from the feds. You know, let's not pretend that this was something that was done organically through legislation. Sean, I, I know you've got to get back to – Back to business, so but and there's a dozen things we could talk about. But is there anything else in particular that you think we ought to be aware of that either is coming up or that's already been done that you think has been a disaster, uh, or you think it's been good? I mean, uh, some final thoughts on what we ought to know. Well, uh, you know, in a big week that we have the deliberate intent bill, especially for my friends in the Northern Panhandle yeah. working in coal mines. Uh, the deliberate intent bill is a very bad bill that goes against coal miner safety and essentially says the life of a coal miner is worth 250000 no matter what. Um, you know, we've had many tragedies, even locally we've had tragedies. And to say that a coal miner's life is only worth 250000 when he's leaving a, a widow and many kids behind uh, is a slap in the face. And that's what this deliberate intent bill does. There was a public hearing held on Monday about it, a lot of just gripping testimony from individuals who, you know, widows who lost their husbands, from sons and daughters who lost their father, and said the only way we're able to survive as a family unit going forward is that we had just compensation following uh, this horrible tragedy. And and we're talking about intent here, Howard. We're talking about a coal baron, the boss, who knows that things aren't aren't right and says, go mine the coal anyway. We'll care about safety second. And then something bad happens. Upper Big Branch comes to mind. And, you know, I'm not coming down here to – to vote to protect non-blanket ship by any means, and that's where we're at now. And that and that's horrible. And it's it's such a complex piece of legislation. It's hard to turn it into political, you know, the political winds and a political soundbite. You know, hopefully, I was able to justify it in 15 seconds, but it's very hard to do. But it's very important. Yeah, legislation. People need people their stand, Sean. Look, we're talking. We're not talking about frivolous lawsuits or people trying to game this. No. We're talking about. Deliberate intent when it has been shown that the offending party, i.e. the business person, the coal company, whatever, when it has been shown that they did this, that they caused this damage to someone, with deliberate intent, they knew they could have fixed it and they didn't. That kind of, it's deliberate intent. That's the key thing. This isn't frivolous lawsuits. This isn't just someone trying to gain the system, like I said. These deliberate intent. They're hardly ever filed. They're hardly ever filed. Only, it's your right. Only yeah. under extreme circumstances, and they're trying to say under these extreme circumstances, two hundred fifty thousand life of a coal miner. Yeah. Even if the yeah. even if the individual the the operator knew knew. I mean, why would you ever? If you knew there was something wrong safety wise, why, why? Who gives a damn? Two hundred fifty thousand. Nothing. Well, then it, be, then it becomes a, just it becomes a mathematical question. Well, if it's going to cost us three hundred thousand dollars to fix the problem. 
okay, uh, if we get the suit, we get 250 That's all we have to put out. So we're 50000 to the good, so let's not fix it, you know. I mean, that's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And, and it's ludicrous. a great point, Howard, that it's not, it's not frequent. These the cases are not frequently filed, thankfully, right? Thankfully, they're not frequently filed. But when they are and a tragedy happens, to say that, you know, we're just going to put this number out of the sky that it has, comes with no real analysis. So you tell me a coal miner who's 22 years old to start a family dies because of the negligence and intent of the operator to not follow safety guidelines. If they knew that there were issues at the mine and that gentleman's going to live, say, another 50 years, has a, has a child or two and a wife, and that we're going to say, here's $250,000 to slap in the face all the coal miners. And I don't want to hear, and if this bill passes, I don't want to see a mailer. I don't want to see anything from the GOP which says we support coal miners because you don't. You support coal barons and the money contributions that come from coal barons to your political campaigns. I don't want to see one piece of paper, one piece of paper that says otherwise. Yeah, that's a great point. Sean, I appreciate your time today. We should have been talking more often during this session. I'll try and grab you a couple more times before you wrap things up. But always appreciate the work you do. Always appreciate the time you give to us. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Go back and do go back and do the people's business. Thanks for all you do, Howard. Thanks for being a voice up there. We appreciate you. All right, uh, Ohio County Delegate Sean Fluherty. This, I, I hate to let it, Bob. I hate to let him go because c- couldn't you tell he was just getting wound up. He was, he was just he, it was like one of those dolls that just finally gotten wound up there right at the end. I love it when when uh, Flu gets wound up. He was really passionate, and he kind of give you uh, a nice send-off there like the governor appreciates all you do, Howard, all you do up here in the Panhandle. Yeah, see, see, they all appreciate me. Everybody appreciates me. It's, it's, uh, and you. We all appreciate you. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I don't know if the governor remembers some of the comments you once upon a time made. Him. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Maybe you you were you were in your other persona, I think, at that time. So maybe you would remember. I was just trying. I was just trying to get attention, Howard. That's all. Don't hold that against me. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Nine thirty-seven, twenty-three till the hour here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Home stretch. Got a couple things I want to get into. Bob, isn't it funny? I started off this morning. You and I talked off the air. I said, "Man, I don't know if we got enough to fill the show." Right? Yeah. What happened to that? What happened to that? I got I got half the stuff I planned to get into today. Haven't even touched it. We'll get into it tomorrow, perhaps. But uh, yeah, it's been a good show, and it's always because of you, Mr. Slider, and because of you, the listeners and the texters. Um, and somehow, again, I we started off what I thought was going to be oh, and I told I said it to Bob. I said, Bob, this is this has the potential to be a bad show because I don't have. I'm just not sure it's going to work. Son of a gun, it did. 